You are about to listen to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, His Word, and His presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the Word, and get fired up about what God's doing today. For me as a pastor, I kind of have to see what we're doing here as a shepherd and a flock. Okay, that we're sheep moving together with the ultimate shepherd, but I'm an earthly representation of the heavenly shepherd. Now, you're not my flock. In fact, nobody belongs to somebody else. Now, you can be discipled by me or be discipled by somebody else. That's why Jesus had disciples. John had disciples. But you belong to Christ. That's why Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, do what? Feed my sheep, meaning his sheep. So we come to the understanding that we're all called to be sheep in his kingdom and that God sets up a governmental kingdom order and raises up healthy, earthly shepherds that should not manipulate and control and hold you back from what he has in store. But unfortunately, in the Western Americanized church, there are a lot of jacked up, dysfunctional, selfish, wrong motive ministers and preachers that make it all about them and get your eyes off Christ. In a true garden and in the true kingdom culture, you have unity by the Holy Spirit where our differences uniquely unite us instead of me trying to create uniformity. Can you imagine if everybody looked like me? Or everybody looked like you? What happens is, is in the kingdom of God, you find your unique identity and who God has called you to be, and you discover your nature And together we become passionately awakened to what God has for us. Now there are defined patterns in the Bible. You don't get to define worship. Worship's already defined for you in the Bible. You just get to make the choice to enter into it or not. You don't get to say, I'm never going to raise my hands because it's in the Bible and God says that's a form of worship. You don't get to say, I'm never going to dance because David danced undignified. And the minute you say, I'm never going to do it, God says, oh, watch, I'm going to show you. I'll get you. There are seven different types of, of worship. In fact, we have no good reason not to be passionately on fire. God gives you no outs not to be lit up for him. None. The Bible gives you every tool and every resource to be passionately on fire and to know him and to truly walk in identity as sons and daughters. But you got to get the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing, more important than anything else in the kingdom, is understanding how God takes you from dysfunctional lifestyle when you were a sinner doing it your own way and makes you a saint, a sanctified one. He separates you and then he makes you a son. And if you don't understand your identity and the power he gives you to become sons, to become something great, if you don't understand the confident boldness of a son will live a life of victim mentality Christianity and always wondering why God doesn't do what we want him to do or does it for other people and we'll compare ourselves or why he doesn't answer our prayers or God, where are you? I'm just little old weak pansy victim mentality me. That's what Gideon did. It's okay. Gideon did it. The least of the least and the least of the tribe hiding in threshing floors and wine presses. And here comes the angel of the Lord. Israel's being oppressed to live in caves. And every time they grow a crop, the devil comes and steals it. 
Every time they seem to take one step forward, they take 10 steps backwards. And if you ever feel that way, come on. And in your darkest hour, in your most difficult moment, when the waves are raging and the lightning and the thunder and the storms seem to kill you, you start looking for Jesus because he's somewhere walking on the water. And when you're in your darkest moment hiding in a threshing floor because everything seems to have gone awry and the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Arise, mighty man of God, mighty man of valor. Instead of doubting, you say, here I am. But Gideon doubted, and Gideon said, if God is really with us, then where is he? How many times have we said, if God's really real, then why didn't he answer my prayer? If God's really there, then how come this happened? How come he let that happen? Where's the God that did all this stuff that our forefathers told us about? Because it's not happening to me. And when the boat's rocking in the sea and you're sure that you're going to drown, you think, I'm going to die. But Jesus is at rest in the boat or he's walking on the water. And here's what I've learned after lots of years of walking with the Lord. The harder it gets and the darker it seems, he's closer than he's ever been. Going through a storm today? Feel like you're not going to make it? Marriage on the rocks? Living paycheck to paycheck? Struggling with addiction? In your darkest hour, I can assure you he's closer than he's ever been. But you have to look and believe and say yes. I'm telling you, the lie of the devil is you better measure up, you better get religious, you better perform more. God doesn't care about you. You made your bed, now lie in it. God helps those who help themselves. Neither of those two statements are in the Bible. You screwed it up, you messed it up, you burned it down to the ground. God says, I'm going to take your ashes, that's carbon dust, and I'll trade it for something beautiful. And in your mind, you can't logically figure that out. And if you don't understand what faith is, and you don't understand that faith is a confident I know so, if you don't first have faith towards God, then you'll prematurely get thwarted from your destiny, or you'll want to give up, or you'll want to throw in the towel, or you'll say this is too hard, when the truth is, is living for Christ couldn't be easier. Oh, you'll have hardship and troubles and trials and tribulation and be persecuted, and you'll have to fight the good fight of faith. But he's given you every single tool and ability to be on fire for him. It's all available to you if you'll just know it, believe it, take hold of it, accept it, and become it. And when you get adopted as sons and daughters, everything changes. Which is why I've taught that for the last three weeks. And if you haven't been here for the last three weeks, I want to really encourage you to listen to the messages about your, your identity being revealed to you and discovering because the first thing that Jesus gives you is power to become a son or a daughter. It's number one. Forgive you, I wash you, I cleanse you. Now, I'm going to give you power to become my son. And you're not going to let your identity be found in what you do and your value based on how good you serve. And we're not going to scratch your ministry need itch by letting you be on the worship team or in the sound booth or serving as an usher. We're going to let you grow and become something great. Because until you sprout up out of the ground and start to become, you're still a seed in the ground. And it's hard to serve and it's hard to give when you don't know how much you're loved and you're doing out of a place of confident identity not trying to get your self-esteem needs met. So everything starts with identity and sonship. Everything changes when you understand who you are in Christ. 
And the devil doesn't want you to know that. We were talking about that this morning. He doesn't want you to know the authority and the power that God gives you because when you start to understand that, suddenly it's a game changer. And now you begin to overcome him in this life. And instead of fighting for victory, God, I hope so. Please, God, set me free. Now I start fighting from a place of victory no matter what's going on around me. That's why Jesus said the poor will inherit the earth. But it's the poor who are rich in faith, James 2. It doesn't mean that just the guy living under the bridge gets to have it all. What it means is no matter what your financial or your natural circumstances are, I'm rich in faith, therefore I overcome and I inherit. Because it's not about my social status, how good looking you are, where you buy your clothes. What matters is who you are and who you become and that you're rich in faith. And then it moves beyond the natural and it steps you into another dimension. God wants to snap you out of this dimension and then give you the ability to function as a son and a daughter in this dimension. That's the purpose. He doesn't save you just to get you to heaven. If that's the case, I'll get you born again and kill you. Let's get you there faster. Come on, Jesus, here I come. He gets you born again and gives you a new life so that you can learn the beauty and the greatness and the wonder and this adventure of love and life and being a son and overcoming in this world. Yes, we get to experience eternity, but now I get to experience the fullness of who he is together with you. And I'm longing, I'm clothed, but 2 Corinthians 5 says that even though we're clothed with him, we long to be even more clothed. And we have the spirit as a guarantee. And I'm going to show it to you. Therefore, we walk by faith and not by sight. So stand up, Dan. God, I'm really longing for you. But until I get you, this isn't weird. (laughs) I'm hanging on to my brother. I love you, Jesus, so much. But until, until I get the fullness of you, I'm clinging to this guy right here. While I'm looking for you and I'm hanging on to each other. It's called a body and a family and a community. But the devil beats you down and wants to get you isolated and alone and say you don't need church because everybody's just jacked up. It's just religion. Those are all lies because when it's done right, it's kingdom and it's garden and it's family and it's community. Woo! And then suddenly, in the middle of July, church is full when most churches are struggling with the slump because there's no slump in a garden. We're flourishing. That's right. That's right. With lots of sunlight. But you have to be reminded of who you are, and you have to be reminded of what true faith is. And as a shepherd, I have to move you from field to field because I could teach on sonship forever and hearing God's voice (coughs) forever and get some water. I get so excited, I just lose my breath. and we move and we eat different nourishments and we grow and we understand there's a holistic kingdom there's tons of topics in the bible from worship and prayer to identity and hearing god's voice i don't put that scripture up yet please and so what happens is is we move from nourishment to nourishment it's like eating a yellow bell pepper 
and then a red bell pepper, and then smelling a rose and eating some spinach. And you look at all the different colors and varieties of what God has. I was eating a yellow pepper. I said, something's got to be going. God, you really knew what you were doing when you ate the, made this yellow pepper. I'm going to eat it just because it's yellow. <laughs> Same with the red pepper. And I realized God has created a multifaceted garden and kingdom to nourish us in every way and give you every single thing. You have all the riches in Christ. If you could just know it and believe it, it'll snap you out of victim mentality. Who is little old me? And instead you rise up as a son and you recognize I'm not perfect. And even if I fall, I'm forgiven. And suddenly the way that I used to live when I was walking this way, living for self, drugs, alcohol, sleeping around, hurting and abusing people because it was all about me leaving a wake of destruction, God transforms my life and turns me the other way. And I start to walk in the newness of life that he has for me and sometimes I slip and I fall but I get back up and I brush it off and I keep going forward and even if I fall again I've learned to get up and sometimes I turn back around and think I want to go back to the way that I was but like we sang today there's never going back but sometimes you got to fall and taste the old you to realize that's not who I am and then you turn back around and go this way that's why we're patient with each other that's why we love each other and we have grace and compassion and we remove all religiosity and say, I love you no matter what. Jesus loved no matter what. We need to have a greater capacity to love like he loved. And when you become a son and a daughter, you understand that. And when you understand what it means to have confident faith, hopeful faith, expectant faith, it's a game changer. So I want to remind you today about faith. And I'm often asking the Lord, what does everybody need to hear? God, what do you want to say? I don't come in here with preconceived agendas and ideas. I have a hundred different messages I could preach. And God says, this is what I want you to remind them. And today I'm going to bring you back to the understanding of faith. And the message title for today is Patterns of Faith. It's a message for July 10th, 2016. And I want to remind you what faith is, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is two things. Everybody say two things. It's a substance and it's an evidence. Everybody say substance and evidence. Now close your eyes for a moment. How many of you can tell that I have a microphone on my head? My voice is amplified. I have an amplified voice right now that is because of this microphone on my head. You, your eyes are closed so you can't see it, but you can hear my amplified voice. Now open your eyes. That's evidence. Evidence is I know God exists even though I may not fully be able to see him, but I can see him in all of his creation. The invisible characteristics and attributes of who God is are made known by what's visible. Okay? But it's also a substance. This microphone, I can touch it and I can feel it. So the definition of substance is a firm foundation or a setting under. In the Greek, it's hypostasis, and it means it's firmly set under my feet, and it's a substance that I know is there. That's why I teach you faith is a not, and I hope so. It's an I know so. And I don't have the answers for every reason of why somebody didn't get healed and why this didn't happen and that didn't happen, but I don't live in that world because I live in a world of hopeful faith and expectation. I'll pray a thousand times until I see it. And whatever's got to be worked out of me, if it's more faith, whatever it is, I don't care. I'm never going to stop because I'm never going back. And I understand what the Bible says. 
And so I have a compass in front of me at all times. God's written word and God's spoken word that's pointing me in the direction to go, even if I'm a sailboat without wind in my sails or if I'm in a raging tempest. The course never changes. I could be stuck in the water with a flapping sail, but my compass and my rudder is still pointing me in the right direction. And I learned to not get moved about whether there's wind or no wind. You know how many iced out services I've preached at where there was no fire and I felt like I fell flat on my face? So what? Those actually even made me stronger when I had to go home and wrestle with myself of why this and why that. And God says, don't change course, stay the course. And pal, the fire comes because I learned to stay the course and stay steady and hang on no matter what my natural circumstances look like. You can't be moved by what you see in the natural. But we live a life constantly focused on what we see. And that's why you must get the news feed from heaven. Because God's word trumps Trump's word. God's word trumps Hillary's word. God's word trumps Fox News and CNN. God's word trumps it all. And if you're not getting a news feed from heaven, if you're not hearing God's voice, if you're constantly hooked on the news, the race, the this, if you're constantly focused on Facebook, apathy, fear, worry, anxiety, all those things set in. And then you say, what a horrible place. In America, I, I give up on my country, and I can't believe I have to raise my kids in this world. What a horrible way to live. And if you're living that way, you've got to repent. Because God raises lights in the darkest of dark times. And when the times seem really dark, oh, are you in a dark time? Feel like you're sinking? Guess what? Where's my binoculars? He's got to be walking on the water. He's got to be out there. And I'm glassing for Jesus. But if your eyes are constantly on the waves and the wind and the storms and the problems, and if all you're hearing is the news feed from the world system, it'll mess you up. It'll mess you up. Come on. I'm telling you. Limit and start hearing the voice of God. And learn what it means to have confident faith. And see, the, the, the substance of faith is the things hoped for. See, another great topic that I'm looking forward to teach on is hope. I want to tell you the other day, you know, this wind has been crazy. The last week and a half has been like sustained 25-mile-an-hour wind. And I was sitting in front of my house on my street, and I just pulled up in front of my mailbox, and I had this epiphany awakening experience. And I looked down the street, and I could see all the oak trees and the palm trees there's lots of trees on my street, and the wind was whipping them back and forth. And I had suddenly this experience that took me out of this dimension. And I heard the Lord say, let hope arise. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, you see the way this wind's blowing through the trees? That's my spirit about to blow through man and humanity. And I was, sitting, I was like captivated out of this dimension and suddenly nothing else mattered because hope was arising inside of me again that the Lord is going to come. And I had this experience about a month ago. I woke up out of my sleep and I had a sentence inside my head. And the, I woke up and I was saying this out of my mouth, have faith for the harvest. Now I wasn't teaching on the harvest. That's another topic I could talk about for a long time, the harvest. 
But God was reminding me to have faith. And faith to me is a adhering to, believing, expecting, and contending. Faith to me is a lot more than I'm just a believer. I, yeah, I believe. Faith to me is what propels me <clears throat> to go after his promises. And so I had this word, have faith for the harvest. And suddenly I realized, you're right, God, a great harvest is coming. And I'm going to believe again. And instead of me worrying about why are these two seats empty and why is that and why isn't anybody there and why, how come all these, there's a few of these empty seats here? I start saying, ah, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're here and you and you and you and all y'all. Texas style. And my eyes get off what I don't have and what's not here and what the enemy would try to get me frustrated. And suddenly I realize it doesn't matter about how many people come or how much money comes in. Because what matters the most is that there's a kingdom advancing one family, one person at a time. One household, one block, one city. And now I have hope for the harvest. Because I believe there's something more. And when we're in our darkest time and our most difficult hour and everything's going wrong and you can't pay your bills and you feel like you're going to die, one of the number one things we tend to throw away is our faith and our hope. That's why Hebrews 10 says, don't cast away your faith. It has great recompense for reward. That's why Peter said, don't think it's strange when you fall into various trials because the trying of your faith, James said, works patience. And I have hopeful expectation. That there's more and that God will do what he said he would do. Even if I don't fully see it, I believe it. And that moves mountains. And that's why Hebrews 11.1 1 says it's a substance and a faith. It's a found substance and it's a uh, evidence of things not seen. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. Now the whole context of this scripture, I don't have time to teach it to you. And yes, I talk fast because I want to get a lot in in a short amount of time. And people say, well, Pastor, why don't, you know, why don't you talk about what happened in Dallas and Orlando and ISIS and the president race? Let me tell you something. I have a lot to say about all that stuff. But Facebook's not my platform and neither is the pulpit. Because in a short amount of time, I got to get you awakened to spiritual understanding. Because if I can get you spiritual and wind-driven and born again as sons and daughters, when you walk out of these doors, you'll be the answer to that. And don't think that I don't have stuff to say about it. Like this. I'll go ahead and give you a, a little nugget of what I have to say. You can't legislate a spiritual issue. Racism is a spiritual issue. Hatred and division and murder, spiritual issue. You think more regulation and legislation is going to fix it? What's broken is the absence of Christ and the headship and lordship of Christ. But let me give you some good news. We're not of this world. I'm part of a kingdom structure. And my task and my job and my answer, of course I pray, of course it hurts, of course I mourn, of course I hate it. Of course we should pray and we should weep for those that are weeping. But my first task is to get my family and my children so fired up about Christ that in the midst of murder and death and destruction, we get to be world changers. And then when I look at you, I see generations of children and sons and daughters and your kids and your family and your spouse. 
and I want you transformed because I know if I get you transformed, suddenly I transform generations to come. And then I understand that you can fulfill and redeem the coat of many colors that was robbed, lost, and stolen. Think about Joseph. Thank God when Joseph got thrown into a prison or into the pit by his own family, by the way, Joseph didn't say, God, how could you? I had this awesome coat of many colors. I had a promise for the nations. And the devil came along and infiltrated my brothers and ripped it up and threw animal blood on it and lied, which is what the devil does about your promise and the coat of many colors God coats you with. And suddenly... I'm not offended and I'm not angry because you'll have every opportunity to get offended. Ten years at one church, I could have been offended. Six years of being what I felt like was suppressed and the wind and the life sucked out of me. I had every opportunity to get offended and thwart what's happening here today. But instead, I recognize that through failures and oppression and hardship, if I'll love and I'll serve and I'll trust God, just like David did with Saul, the very one he'd play the harp for, the very one he had worked so hard to get with and got anointed by God to get with him, is now throwing spears and want to kill him. But David didn't get offended. And when he had every opportunity to kill Saul, and even when he cut the hem of his garment, he was so convicted. And yet we hang on to our fences because the last pastor in the last church and all churches are jacked up and I only got controlled and manipulated. It's not supposed to be that way. And so when you go through it, you recognize and realize it wasn't supposed to be that way. Now I can do something different about it instead of run from it. That's why we're here today. That's why you're here. Because you're created for more. There is more. And we get to be the more. And if you want to see it, you got to be it. I can't take all that responsibility, but with you and you and all y'all, I can do it together. You understand? So I walk by faith, not by sight. I'm not moved by what I see in the natural. It's not my natural senses, what I hear, what I feel. Sight is a natural sense. It's me having spiritual understanding and confidence in his ability, not mine. I'm actually looking to see things that are not seen. Pull that next scripture up. We're not looking at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Are we still looking? Are we still seeing something? Yes, we are. But as sons and daughters and Christians and believers, we're looking at something that is not of this world. I'm first looking at something that is spiritual by faith that manifests itself in the natural. That's why Psalm 19 talks about how all of creation reveals who he is. The heavens declare the handiwork of the Lord. Day by day, night by night is talking to you. And then... As I'll show you here in a moment, in Romans, it says now something else is talking to you, and it's preachers bringing the gospel of peace. How good and beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace. Now there's a new way for people to hear God's voice. Yes, you can still look at creation, and creation still represents him, but now he raises up people. 
preachers, evangelists, apostles, pastors, teachers, all of us to be the voice of God, to bring faith into people's life. But you first have to see, I'm not looking at things that are seen, but things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So I look at my friend Ray and I say, he may be temporary, but I want to create something eternal inside of him. And now I'm looking with eternal eyesight towards the end that says what I care about ultimately is eternal, not temporal things of this earth. Now I care about you and I care about your life and I care about the things of this earth in a sense, but I'm ultimately looking for an eternal hope. And I'm ultimately looking to make things eternal with Christ because I already know this is all going to pass away. My friend Ray, stand up. This is my friend Ray. He was my very first friend when I got born again in Miami, Florida. He's the very first one that for, for several years, we were in a Christian rock and roll band together called the Lazarus Generation. He's a musician. He's my dear friend. And we fought the fight. We saw stuff in Miami. He was new back to the Lord. And we were like living in Miami war zone. And God rooted and planted us. And then 20 years, God's brought us back around together. But 20 years, we were talking about it yesterday, went like that. Yeah. Because we're talking about faith. Yeah. Looking at this church is evidence and substance. This is evidence and substance of something that we talked about 20 years ago. And we had a vision. And it was, gonna, it was originally called Rock Chapel. That's right. And we were going to have a rock and roll church with long-haired hippie people and, <laughs> and all this stuff. And I first met him when he was first born again. And him and his mom showed up at the church I was going to. And I turned, there's, all of a sudden I hear all this noise behind me. And I turn around. There's a guy, and he's dressed up in tie-dye, and he's got his tambourine and his rainmaker, and he's got, I'm exaggerating a little bit, he's got 20 musical instruments on him. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. But we talked about having a church one day, and him being the pastor, and me being involved 20 in years. This is 20, 21 years ago. 21 years ago, and here it is. Yeah. And for me to walk into this place, I'm, I'm actually seeing this, um, there's substance, and the evidence of things not seen 21 years ago. Yeah. And here it is. Yeah. And I'm really proud of you, David. Thanks, man. I love Thanks. you. I love you. Thank you. Now, pray for my brother Ray because he's in transition, and his transition may lead him here. The, the Lord's going to show you. But I just want to say, if this is it, this is home for you. And we love you a lot. And I'm so glad you're here. So pull that scripture back up real quick. I'm not looking at things that are seen, but are things that are unseen. I have my eyes on eternity. Okay? I have my eyes on eternity. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know just also as I am known. And the premise here is that there wasn't a mirror to look in back in that day. It was polished metal. And so you would only see an image of yourself when you would look at yourself in this polished metal. So you would only see dimly. But the Bible goes on to say that unlike Moses who had a veiled face, we can all see Jesus with an unveiled face face to face. But it's a process. So every day he becomes a little clearer until full clarity comes when he returns. 
And now I know in part, but tomorrow I'll know a little bit more. See, you have to understand it's a progression. It's a faith-to-faith progression. You go from faith to faith. It doesn't mean I get to be stuck in all that I knew yesterday. It means every new day I get to see a little bit more until the day comes. And God still wants you to see his face, and he still wants you to get with him face-to-face. You have to understand we can't live a life where we say, God, if you'll do this, then I'll believe. God, if you'll just answer my prayer, I'll put a condition on it. If I'll just get the reward, then I'll do it. If you just, I'll pray for the sick if they'll get healed. I'll become a prayer partner if I know, God, that it'll work. I'll do this if you'll do this. And it doesn't work like that. A great example would be Jesus after he resurrected. And the disciples are in fear, hiding in a room and doubting. And Jesus walks in right through the door supernaturally. Thomas sees it and still doubts and says, unless I stick my hand in his side and my, hand, my finger in his hand, I'm not going to believe. And we say, until I touch him. And that's why so many of us, how many of you have ever said, I just wish I could hear God's voice audibly? Come on, we've all said it. Come on, God, just speak to me audibly. Or, you know, I know the Bible says there's angels. I believe in angels. But why can't I see this 10-foot-tall angel standing right behind me right now? (laughs) He is there. There's a few of them. But you understand that Jesus even rebuked Thomas in a nice way. He says, go ahead and touch my hand. You believe because you're touching me but supremely blessed. This is the ultimate way to live your life. This isn't just a nice little blessing. This is all of the provisions that comes with being blessed are those who believe when they don't see in the natural. Hence the walk of faith. See, because one audible voice of God will actually ruin you. So only the Lord knows the character and the time, and I would love that to happen too. But at the same time, you could hear it and then never learn how to walk and live by faith and always hope to hear it again. And unless you see it in the natural and hear it audibly, when God wants to teach you fully to learn to hear and see by the Spirit. And it's faith that enables you to do that. It's confident knowing like the ground and the seat that you're sitting on and like the sound of my voice. That's how clear faith should be. And no, you don't have all the answers, but stop living in the why this and why not and if and buts. If if and buts were candy and nuts, it'd be Christmas every day. (laughs) I don't live in an I hope so. I don't live in an a maybe. This isn't arrogance and haughtiness and cockiness and pride. This is a complete surrender trust as a son. And yet. And yes, I have a lot of difficulties, and I manifest. And when I manifest as somebody that's not a son, I have a daddy that's got me bridled that says, now, son, that wasn't the way I want you to act. And through many failures and many mistakes and through falling many, many times, God has picked me up and turned me around, put my feet on solid ground and said, go this way. I said, but God, I want to really, I mean, I don't even fall into sin, and sometimes I do double backflips off the dive board, but that's still not okay. No sin is okay. No, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. There's not, it's okay, it's just a little sin. I know God's got me in process. Can you imagine? I know, bro, I, I'm going to just make something up. He's not doing this. But I know, oh man, you're stealing, 
You're stealing from that RV park out there. I know you're sneaking around at night. And it's okay, man. It's okay. Just God's got you in process. You'll come out of that. Can you imagine how silly that is? You're, somebody's having an affair. Oh, it's okay. I know you're having an affair. Just look, just trust God's process. I know you'll come out of it. Or God comes along to try to deal with us as sons, and our response to him is, Psh. oh, God wants to tell. It's like, nobody's going to tell me. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to be brought over. And we scoff off what God wants to say and God wants to do because we're afraid. We're afraid that people are going to control you and manipulate you. And the thing is, is God designed us to be in relationship with one another. And he measures us in the context of relationship. That's why we're called a body and you can't hide out. But the devil wants to isolate you. And so we have very few friends, and the few friends that we have oftentimes aren't living for Christ, and they're not propelling us towards the things of Jesus. And the last thing we want to do is go to that boring men's group or that Bible study. And I mean, shoot, there's no beer and barbecue. Why would I ever want to go? (laughs) This sounds funny, but it's a reality. Because we learn to pay the price and we learn to say, I want something more and I can't live the way that I used to live and I can't live a boring, religious, sissy, pansy, doldrum Christian lifestyle, but I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. When no one notices, when no one's patting me on the back and I'm not getting applauded, oh, congratulations, Penny, stand up. I'm so proud of you. You've done so great. Oh, everybody look, Penny, 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 Penny. Now, I know she... I know her and love her. She, she was up worshiping today. Let me just tell you, side note, I'm very proud of you. Because if you knew how much she has changed, you were standing in front worshiping today. What's happened to you? Something has happened to you. You don't even look like the same person that you came. But it's love that transforms. And only the love of Christ and supernatural experiences and dreams and visions. And she has been awakened to the promises and destiny. She's not the same person she was when she came because she said yes and she believed. And now her Facebook posts are filled with college students going out and riding around in golf carts on the beach. Now she's got a whole new family when she had no one when she came here because she pressed. And you never stop pressing. None of us stop pressing. I love this scripture, Luke 17, 20. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, when will the kingdom come? He answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Now, listen, I love to see. I love to experience, I mean, numbers, signs and wonders, miracles. God does all these little fun things that just remind me that he's there. Words that I wake up to in the morning. It's not all the time. I have seasons where I feel like God Where are you? I'm not feeling, I'm not sensing, I'm not seeing, but I know by faith that he's there, and so I don't get moved by that anymore, and now I stay the course, and then, pow, suddenly something happens, and I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. And he says, the kingdom doesn't come through observation. Verse 21. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is where? But I want you to know you'll still observe. But now instead of me seeing, trying to see Jesus manifest in the physical flesh, 
I'm now observing by the Spirit because I have the Spirit inside of me, and so it requires being born again. That's why when Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night, most people think that Nicodemus said, what must I do to be born again? But Nicodemus never said that. That's not in the Bible. There's no scripture that says, what must I do to be born again? Instead, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, teacher, master, we know that you've come from God because nobody could do the miracles and the signs and wonders like you're doing had you not come from God. Hence, wisdom is justified by her children. When you live your life according to the biblical pattern, you'll be justified in the eyes of men, and then people say, what is it about you? And then they'll want to come to church like you all wanted to today, hopefully. Because the last thing I want you to do is to feel pressured. I want you to come because you believe there's more. That's why I don't ever put pressure on anybody to come. And no, we don't chase you down if you stop coming. Because we want you to be here. And if you'll get in a relationship with somebody, we'll do our best to make sure we help you through difficult times. But you make the choice to say, I want you no matter what. And I'm pressing no matter what. I want my faith to boost. I want to hear your voice. And I want to be everything you've called me to be. And that includes being together with others. Because church is biblical. Being together is biblical. Assembling together is biblical. And what we're doing is biblical. It's not about manipulation and control anymore. Instead, it's a garden. And I'm seeing some yellow bell peppers and red bell peppers and some spinach and bananas. Roses and tulips. It's all part of God's kingdom. Even animals. We just got to rule out the, get out the animal nature. What day did God create the animals? The sixth day. What day did God create man? The sixth day. But one difference between animals and man is man was given the image and likeness of God, but man lost the likeness at the fall. So now, through Jesus, we get the likeness back. And without the renewed nature, we still live in the old carnal mindset that came from the fall, and hence we're ruled by the animal nature or the human nature or the flesh. So we're in this process of crucifying flesh so we can get into the holy place. We got to burn off anything that's not of Christ so that we can get in there. And if you'll let him do it, you'll become more like him and you'll experience the daily bread and you'll experience the lamppost, which Jesus is, if you read in Revelations, he's hiding in the midst of the lamppost. Guess where the father was in the garden? In the midst of it. So now he's in the midst of this garden and he wants you to become a gardener under the rule of the master gardener. John 15 says the father is the gardener. When Jesus awoke, was resurrected from the tomb and Mary came, she didn't recognize him because she thought he was what? A gardener. He planted us in a garden. He prayed in a garden. He resurrected from a garden. He's coming back to a garden. And what God wants to make us is to be more like him that are fruitful in abundance, branches, trees, fruit for the nations, healing for the nations in our leaves, in our hands. I said in our leaves. I know I've said, here's my leaf, Lord. <laughs> so the kingdom can still be observed, but it doesn't come into your life. I can observe the kingdom of God here today. But the kingdom only actually comes when we're born again. <clears throat> That's why you got to get out of religious mode. You got to get out of going through the motions. I'm, congratulations. I'm glad you're here today. 
But this is much more than coming to church on a Sunday morning. You got to take it out of here and live this every day. You got to get a word from the Lord like I got that said, have faith for the harvest and suddenly everything changes. God can speak to you every day. It's called your daily bread. And if you don't always feel like you're hearing, you're listening and you're looking. Because if you're not listening and looking, how are you going to hear? So the kingdom of God comes from within in being born again. Romans 10, 14. How shall they call on him whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they? This is a lot of questions. I like questions. A lot of hows. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. That's us. Who bring glad tidings and good things. So what should a preacher bring? What should a preacher preaching the gospel, the good news of peace? It should be glad tidings and good things, not destruction. Not I'm going to kick you when you're down. What's the matter with you? You failure. Beat you over the head with the Bible. See, your sin. Your sin. You made your bed. You lie in that. See, how does it feel? And we kick our own when we're down instead of resurrecting them and fighting the fight with them and loving them. And it doesn't mean I coddle you, but it means that I remind you of who you are and I speak destiny to you. And I get your vision to see in the future instead of the right now. Suddenly you believe there's more. And you say to yourself, I knew this couldn't have been it. There's got to be more. And then you say, I want to be. If I want to see it, I got to become it. You take it for yourself and you believe it for yourself. Verse 16, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. Not everybody's obeyed. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? But verse 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this word for word is the word rhema. It's different than the written word. But you need the written word. You've got to start reading your Bible, even if it's a little here or a little there. Because God doesn't have anything to work with when he speaks his word. If you don't have a foundation inside of you for him to build upon, you're not going to understand what he's saying. And then if you don't have a foundation of his word, you'll spin out into weird belief systems. It's okay to have premarital sex. God's going to forgive me. I know, not everybody's perfect. Just human nature. Now listen, if you're having premarital sex, you need to know that I love you. I'm going to fight with you. I'm not even going to ask you if you are. Get past it. If you're struggling with it, ask the Lord to heal you. Ask the Lord to set you free and recognize that's not who you are and do whatever you've got to do to honor him. No, it's not okay, but I'm not out to condemn you. That's why I don't go down the list of preaching on all the sins. If I get you spiritual and the presence of God comes, he'll convict you of the sin and you'll want to do what he wants you to do. I don't have to be a sin preacher. I don't have to be mean and harsh. I'm just calling you up higher. Just calling you into the promises of who he is. And all you have to do is say, yes, Lord, I want it. And he'll make a way for you. Faith comes by what? Hearing. So if I'm walking by faith, how can you have faith if you're not hearing? Think about it. If you're not hearing God's voice and you don't know his word, how can you have faith? Because faith comes by hearing. And this scriptural context is in the scripture of preachers preaching the gospel. So I'll say it backwards. Let's go to verse 15. I'm going to read 15 to 14 backwards. And I wrote it down. God will send preachers. He sends preachers that people can hear the gospel of peace, which will cause people to hear who hadn't heard before, 
and in turn, they'll believe and then call upon him for themselves. I said, I just read it backwards. So he sends people to get people to hear so that they'll believe and then they'll call on him for themselves. So what should be happening in this room right now, sorry, did I spit on you? Just three times. It's sanctified spit. What should be happening today is your faith should be arising up because your spirit's being awakened, not because I gave you five nice principles to massage your brain and teach you how to be a better person, the new you, the better life, the four steps. Transformation comes from the inside out, and when you become a new creation, all things become new, and you get transformed. And then there's a process of regeneration, and that's allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work. Thank God, right after I got saved, and I'm smoking doobies, tongue-talking, baptized the Holy Ghost, smoking doobies, that I have some weird religious people come up and beat me down. God had a loving process of convicting me to the spot where finally I couldn't smoke doobies anymore and pray in tongues because it didn't fit. It was like oil and water, and it didn't mix. And I got convicted, and God set me free. It was a process. I just want to do it a happy dance right now. Matthew 4.4. 4. He answered and said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Rhema. It's breath. You live by the breath of God. But you get his logos written word inside of you so you can understand what he's saying. And you use God's written word as a compass to lead me and point me to him. And then God speaks to you along the way. And you've got to live by, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's called being wind-driven. It's called being inspired by the breath of God. The word spiritual is the word non-carnal. He wants you to be spiritual, which means he doesn't want you to live according to human nature and the animal mindset. I'm going to read one last scripture, and we're going to pray, and I'm going to paraphrase this scripture for you because I love it. This one scripture is power-packed with so much wonderful treasure and information about who the Lord is and how we're called to live. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. So my pattern of warfare is not of the flesh, and the word flesh means human nature and human reasoning and logic. When you see the word warfare here in a minute, it's the Greek word for strategy. It means God gives me a strategy. He gives me the battle plan. It's being spiritually led and governed by him. So the way that I walk is not according to the pattern of the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The word warfare is the word strategy. So my strategy and the weapons that I use are not carnal. Now think, when you think of weapons, think of tools or implements used to tear something down. Warfare is an apostolic career. Warfare is a new job description. Warfare is, who you're, is what you're called to do. It's a new career for you. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you're not fighting, you're already captured. 
Fighting what? Fighting the good fight of faith. Advancing the kingdom and his promises. Becoming everything he's called you to be. You have to contend. You've got to fight. You've got to warfare for it. But the enemy wants you captured and held back so that you don't fight anymore. And you just give up. Or you stop believing. Or you stop reading your Bible and you stop contending. And you definitely don't worship. The number one thing that will keep you back from worshiping is yourself. Believing lies and having self-consciousness overtake you instead of fully trusting him and believing what he has for you. So he says the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, but they're mighty in God. It means they work. It means they're powerful. It's, it's a word similar to the word dynamite, dunamis. It means that what he does turns it on and it makes it work and it's powerful. And why? What's it for? It's to pull down strongholds. But what kind of strongholds? It's the strongholds of vain imaginations and false ways of thinking that we establish in our mind, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Because every high thing that it's exalting itself will keep you ignorant to not know him. That's called being an agnostic. And there are a lot of Christian agnostics. They believe, but they don't feel like they hear God's voice or all that stuff's for them and all that power and all this all this stuff that God wants to speak to you and hear his voice, and I can't be more. I'm going to make it to heaven. Thank, you know, thank God I'm a believer. I just know I'm going to make it to heaven, and I'm going to get out of hell. God's got so much more for you on this earth now. But it's mindsets and ungodly beliefs that we encamp and entrench. It's like a fortress. It's like a castle that we build in our mind. It's every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and we bring it into the captivity and the obedience of Christ, and then we punish all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. And the word punish means to vindicate. So God vindicates you now. He wipes away your past and every failure and every mistake. He now puts you in right standing with him, and you're no longer guilty of what you did before. You're now a son, and you've been washed clean of your past. That's what that means. And so all these words mean so much. I mean, I love them all. To pull something down means to demolish and destroy and make it extinct. I was thinking about this awesome bank building that just got demolished over here on Flower Bluff Drive by the Walmart. This bank building was beautiful. And they tore it down because they're putting in a convenience store. But now think of that as a stronghold in your own life, an entrenched way of thinking from your past, your religious beliefs from your past. You used to be this. You used to be that. You used to follow this denomination. You know, we take all this old stuff with us and we establish these strongholds. God doesn't care. God doesn't heal. There's no such thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is. And we inform the, and entrench these things in our mind. And pride and arrogance and in vain imaginations about who God is. And all these things exalt themselves. They get lifted up. But God says, I'm going to give you these tools, these wrecking balls and these cranes. And what you're going to do is you're going to wipe it out because let me tell you we may remember today because i told the story but when that new convenience store gets built people will completely forget that there was an awesome bank building there once and then it's what it's made extinct so god gives you spiritual weapons to wipe out your false thinkings and make extinct the old you and the old way that you used to think and it becomes like that bank building and you tear it down and you demolish it and you never go back, ever. It's why we sang today, I'm never going back. <clears throat> Let's have Nathan come up. You're never going back. 
So I just rewrote this. I want to close with this. I rewrote 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6, based on what all those words meant in the Greek. Okay, I'm going to reread it the way I wrote it. My flesh doesn't dictate how I live my life, worship God, and serve others. I've got a different battle strategy, and it's not of this world. I'm fighting for life, mine and yours. I'm a soldier in a difficult fight, a military campaign against human nature and human reasoning, and there are animals all about, ready to devour at all times. But I'm an apostle, and this is my new career. I'm taking territory for the king. I'm driving back the enemy, and I'm redeeming all that's been lost and stolen. I have a divine strategy from my general, Jesus, the general. And no matter how hard the task is, I'm not going to allow my own mindsets and my own human nature and my own human reasoning to lead the way anymore. I'm regenerated by the Holy Spirit every day for this fight. I'm reminded who I am as a son every day for this fight. And in turn, I have supernatural power. I'm capable. I'm strong. I'm able. And to me, all things are possible because I believe. I'm going to fully demolish any false ways of living and thinking that are contrary to my father's ways. Any logical place in my mind and life that are fortified within me and seem to be a safe place for me, I'm going to tear down and I'm going to allow God's breath and God's spirit to fully wipe it out as he speaks to me and as he comforts me in everything that I face. My lower logic will be submitted to his higher logic. My intellect will become his intellect. And any place of pride, arrogance, and ignorance that has put up a barrier between me and knowing God will be wiped out. I will live and think as an obedient captive. I'm a prisoner now. I'm a bondservant to God and to you to the Lord of my life, King Jesus. Thank you. Why don't you all stand? You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.